You've given us new life in Jesus Christ. You've given us hope. You've given us the power of the resurrection. You've given us your spirit. Father, you've given us a story. And we certainly provided the drama. But what you have provided is restoration and renewal. So Father, I ask, I pray, I beg that we would be reminded often of what it is that you have done for us. And may we be reminded through the good news of your word today. For it's in Jesus' matchless name I pray. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles with me. Go to Psalm 19. Um, While you're turning there, couple of quick uh, housekeeping kind of things for the next step stuff. Uh, when you leave this morning, and you walk out into the lobby, right outside this door, there is another board. Um, if uh, That board out there is the board that our young people are putting their commitments on. So every Sunday morning when you leave, you will see what our munchkins are writing about their story. And so I believe I'm going to spend more time at that board than I am these two. Um, if you are still writing right now, if you're like, I forgot, and you're jotting it down right now, that's no problem, no pressure, we're not, not concerned about that. You can certainly come up and just drop them on these tables at the end of the service, that'd be fine. Or if I get really boring, you can just walk up in the middle of the service, that's okay. Um, so this week, we are focusing on valuing God's Word. And, and that is certainly one of our values, and we're going to emphasize that, and we're going to look at Psalm 19 together. But I want to explain to you another tool that uh, is explained in the book on page 33. Um, it's the, we are now using this tool called uh, Uversion, which half the world has downloaded at some point or another. It's the most popular Bible app that is out there today. Um, but we are able to use Uversion to craft uh, the, the kind of the flow of our services together. We can put our online bulletin there, our, our link to you submitting your prayer requests, uh, the scripture for the morning, the, the sermon title, what's actually happening during the sermon, all those things. So if you follow those instructions on page 33, it'll explain to you uh, how to use version. We are going to continue to grow in using that. We're going to continue to try to get better at it as we go. And so just play around with that a little bit. Um, not while I preach. Do it when they sing, would you? It wouldn't hurt my feelings as much. I'm just kidding. All right, let me ask you a question. How many of you love going to the beach? Raise your hand. You beach people, okay. That's a significant chunk. How many of you love going to the mountains? Raise your hand. Okay. Actually, that surprises me a little bit. How many of you love going to work? Raise your hand. I did not quite as many. I didn't think so. I, I think it's interesting when you think about going to the beach or, or, or going to the mountains or, or just getting out into God's creation how fascinating it is that it captivates us so completely at times. I mean, what's so magnificent about letting water that is just way salty and filled with all kinds of creatures and critters and things creatures and critters leave behind, and we go and splash around it like, this is the greatest thing ever, right? What's so magnificent about staring at a giant rock what, what is it that causes us, and it's us, I don't mean me, I mean all of you. What causes all of you, when you see a double rainbow, to be like, gotta get a picture of that? Or the sunrise, or the sunset, everybody tries to capture it, and, and you know as well as I do, no picture ever does it justice. 
What, what is it that, that creates in us this, this almost desire to write poetry when we see these things? I think Psalm 19 gives us a little bit of a, a taste. Look at verse 1, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The expanse proclaims the work of His hands. Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night they communicate knowledge. But there is no speech. There are no words. Their voice isn't heard. But their message has gone out to the whole earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens He has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete who's running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. So the psalmist begins by saying that the glory of God is being sung, proclaimed. He uses the words declared. Speech is poured out, communicating Knowledge, the creation of God is just exuding the very picture of the glory of God for us. There are words being spoken without a word being spoken. The creation, it it communicates to us the vastness of the glory of God. It doesn't matter if you have a microscope or a telescope. Both are going to communicate that glory. When you think about the the vastness, the immense power and glory of God that is revealed to us as we consider how huge His creation is, you just just start very small, which seems huge to us, but you start very small and you think about our own earth. If you wanted to, to fly around the world and you could find a plane that could refuel in the air and you never have to land, you just continuously fly, it would take you almost two days to fly completely around the earth. Let's fly to the sun. Somehow you find a plane that can refuel on the way to the sun. And of course, when you get to the sun, you don't land because then you poof, but that'd be bad. So if you were to fly to the sun, it would take you 19 years at 550 miles an hour. I used my my Rain Man math for that. But what if you were to fly to the closest star beyond the sun? There's, there's one that's actually the closest star to us. It's called Proxima Centauri. It's the closest star besides our sun to the earth. If you were to upgrade your aircraft and go with the latest and greatest space machine, it would take you about 157,000 years to get there. One star. And there are more than 100 billion stars in our galaxy alone. Psalm 127 tells us, oh, he knows the number of the stars. In fact, he has given each one a name. The glory of God is declared by the the vastness of, the immense size of the creation because we know the one who created that is so much bigger. But he also created you. The individual, one 
out of almost 7.5 billion people alive on the earth today, you. He created you with, with precision. Do you know that the human heart creates enough pressure that it could squirt blood 30 feet? Okay, that's gross. So let me, let me make it a little bit, little bit more palatable. The human heart has to be that strong with that much pressure to move the blood through almost 60,000 miles of veins, arteries, and capillaries that are in your body. Your body alone, 60,000 miles. I'm on a diet. I might be down to 59,000. And yet God created us with such purpose, such design, even such creativity and imagination. I love, what am I, <laughs> I love this. Do you know that God has created us so that when you smell food, your body reacts? When you smell food, your mouth automatically begins to produce saliva to prepare your digestive system for work. The psalmist, you created and you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139. As you look at all of creation, whether it be the immense size of it or, or the, the intricate design that is within each and every one of us, what you find as you view creation is that all of creation is this crescendo of a symphony of praise. The instruments all play together perfectly. And what those instruments are playing is a song that cries out, there is a God. And he did this. It's this remarkable, amazing thing. But we must understand that the loudest words that have never been spoken cannot spell out why we were created or explain the meaning of life or even tell us the details about the creator. But the beautiful thing is that God himself has spoken so that we can know him. We can know the artist. Verse 7. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced Wise, the precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than, 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 than an abundance of the purest gold. They're sweeter than honey, even, even dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them and is, and is keeping them. In keeping them, there is an abundant reward. Who perceives his unintentional sins? God, cleanse me from my hidden faults. Keep your servant from willful sins. Don't let them rule me. Then I'll be blameless. I'll be cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. 
the God who created all, in its vast size or its precision, that God who created it all has spoken to us. It is referred to here in those verses as the instruction, the testimony, the precepts, the command, the fear, the ordinances. Those are all references to the very word of God. We're told that the word of God, verse 7, it is perfect, spotless, flawless. It's complete. In God's word, we find everything we need to know about who God is and what he has done. Please don't mishear me. I did not say we find everything about God we want to know, but we find everything we need to know because his word is complete. It's perfect. In verse 7, it's trustworthy, dependable, stable, reliable. You can lean on it. And you can know you're secure. Verse 8, the word of God is, is right. That word right means it's referring to a straight edge by which everything else is measured. Think, think about the, the level. You use the level to determine what is straight. And in our old home, as we're doing our renovations in our old home, or probably more rightly said, is I'm cheering Stephanie on as she's doing renovations in our old home. As she uses the level, it's funny, if we're, we got to make a decision a lot of times. So are we going to hang this picture based on the way the room actually is, or are we going to use the level? And God says, always use my level. You, you don't interpret the goings-on in the world based on the goings-on of the world. You interpret the goings-on of the world based on my right word, on my level word. It says the word of God is pure, it's clean, it's unpolluted, it's reliable. That means it is unchanging, it's faithful, it's accurate. Listen, God isn't out to trick us. God's not trying to make us look dumb. He's not vindictive. He's not mean. He is communicating as clearly as possible so we can know Him. God's Word is given to us, and I think He gives us for three reasons in, 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 in this text. It says, first, it renews your soul. It renews your soul. The first thing that we learn from that is we need our souls to be renewed. Desperately. God created everything in absolute perfection. And then Satan showed up and blew it to smithereens. Every relationship, every thought, every process, every life cycle has been forever tainted by sin as a result of Genesis chapter 3. Every single one of us in this room is separated from God in our sin. Every single one of us in this room is a sinner. And that's not, oh, you're just being mean. No, I'm not. God's word is reliable, pure, right, trustworthy, and perfect. God's word has told us these things, not so that he can make fun of us. Oh, you're just imperfect. You're a sinner. He did it so that we could be redeemed. He did it so we'd understand that we need to be renewed. And God's word says this, this instruction of the Lord renews one's life. It can restore you back to your true identity the pre-fall standing with God as you submit to it. It says it makes the simple wise, the inexperienced wise. It, it gives you the information that you need to know that you didn't know, but now you do know it, and now you can enjoy it. So it renews your soul, it renews your life. It makes the simple wise. It gives you that information. It also revives the heart. It, it allows you to see circumstances 
relationships, yourself, other people, God himself, Jesus, the Holy Spirit allows you to see all of those individuals through a different lens as he re- revives your heart. So, so think about that. I'm gonna, we'll do the devil's advocate thing here real quick. So God's word renews your soul, makes the simple wise, and revives your heart. So first thing in the morning when you sit down at your table, you got four and a half hours of sleep, got your cup of coffee. Does it feel like it's reviving your heart, renewing your soul? (laughs) Oftentimes it doesn't. Let me be clear, we have to be very careful to not make promises that God doesn't make in his word. Because when we think God has given us a promise in his word and we begin to cling to it and then he doesn't fulfill his promise, we we, we get angry at him. When in fact, we're the ones to be angry at. So, 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 okay, let me be clear again. It's not a magic eight ball. I still remember being in high school. It's like I had, I had a big decision to make about college. I had just gotten out of high school, actually. Big decision to make about college. I had no idea. And I was like, I'm going to God's word to get wisdom. Most definitely. Or, or, or I'm just going to do this. Oh, okay, where should I go? Oh, let's see how this goes. I'm literally going to do this. Instead, don't I take pleasure when he turns from his way and lives? Really helpful. Is the word renewing you, instructing you, reviving you? Let me tell you this, it's not if you approach God's word looking for inspirational quotes every day. (laughs) So many people will jump into God's word and be like, oh, that's a coffee mug verse right there. Or, ooh, I'm putting that on a t-shirt. Or, I'm going to make a, use my cricket and make this thing that you stick on the wall because I don't know how crickets work, so that's how I'm going to describe it. Most inspirational quotes that come out of Scripture are so horribly taken out of context, they're saying the exact opposite of what God is saying. I'm going to give you one, and I'm sorry. If this is tattooed on your body somewhere, love you, I apologize. Jeremiah 29.11 is the most taken out of context verse there is in Scripture. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? Have you ever read the context? Now, you see, what happens is there's a false teacher who has come, and he's teaching the people who are now in exile, in captivity. They're they're being punished for their sin. And this false teacher comes, and and he's saying, listen, two years. It's just going to be two years, and we'll be out of here. Take great hope. Take great confidence. Two years, God's going to remove you from this this, this pressure, this, this exile, this captivity. God says, ah, that ain't my guy. I never said two years. It's going to be 70. Buckle up. Build the city that you're living in. Build homes. Get married. Have children. Plant gardens. Man, I'm telling you, it's going to be 70 years, and it's going to be 70 very difficult years. But I promise you, at the end of all that, I know what I'm doing. I have plans for you. 
you're not going to see them for 70 years. Is that what you want tattooed on your body? At age 20, you're like, I know the plans I have for you. When I'm in the grave, that's not good. God's word is not renewing, instructing, and reviving you if you're just looking at the scripture for inspirational quotes. It's not renewing, instructing, and reviving you if you approach God's word looking for a blessing. The biggest lie that was told to me uh, when I was in high school just learning how to read God's word, actually, there's two things. Let me add this one in here for you. This is free. Don't even have it in my notes. Could be in trouble. That's usually what that means. I still remember a, a pastor standing up in front of me when I was a young person who had just come to faith in Jesus Christ and saying, if you read God's word and you just don't understand it, that means the spirit is not in you. Yeah, especially because I was reading the King James. And I'm like, oh, no. Um, thank God that's not what that means. <laughs> but, but the other one is you're supposed to read every morning until you get a blessing. You just keep reading until you get a blessing. What happens if you're in numbers? Listen, stop putting a timetable where God doesn't put a timetable. Is is God's word truly trustworthy and reliable? Then as you read the book of numbers, although you're not going to be like, I was this and now I'm that, there's going to be constant and continuous slow transformation in your life as the water of the word continues to pour into you. My wife uses this illustration that her dad shared with her when she was a young person that, 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 that she said, I just don't feel like I'm getting any other word. And his explanation was, take a basket, a dirty basket, and take pure, clean water and just start pouring it in. And at first, it's like lots of change, but over time, well, it takes a little while for more change, but eventually you go back and look and the basket's clean. Did you sense that? I don't know. Did you sense the night that you grew a half an inch? No. God's word is trustworthy. We don't need to go to it and find that magical blessing that'll get us through the day. Is God's word renewing you, instructing you, and reviving you? Not if you're approaching it like a textbook. If you're approaching God's word like a textbook, man, you are in grave danger. Because all you are doing is you are learning facts about theology, facts about God himself, facts about religion, facts about the church. And while you might be able to pass some tests, You might be that one who challenges every nuance of theology as it's posted on Facebook or or in sermons or in a song or during a discussion. That's fantastic. And you may actually be right. The problem is, love you, you're a jerk. And what you've done is you have begun to swallow God's word to get information and neglected the transformation that should be occurring as you are having this examine you. You can't just read God's word. You've got to let it read you. That's what the psalmist is saying here. Who perceives his unintentional sins? I mean, as you interact with our great God, you're going to be brought this this bittersweet awareness of how much of a wreck you really are. Let me tell you, you're a wreck. I'm a wreck. In fact, I am confident that I can say this before all of you. Every single one of us in this room is not aware of how much of a wreck we actually are. Because Jeremiah tells us our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Our hearts continue to deceive us into thinking, oh, you got this, you got this figured out. And the psalmist is like, okay, Lord, I know I don't have it figured out. Could you please help me see those unintentional sins, the ones I don't even mean? And while you're at it, why don't you make sure you take care of those other ones too that I mean to commit? The ones that I do on purpose because I either just don't care or I think that I know better than God. It's not a textbook. It's the revelation of the God who knows us and sees us in our hidden brokenness and he longs to renew and revive us. 
How? I mean, is it the genie thing? Renew me, revive me. No, God's doing his restorative work in us. As he renews, instructs, and revives us. Because as we pour into God's word and allow it to pour into us, we encounter the living God, the one we desperately need. We encounter our Savior, Jesus Christ. Can I show you how? Turn with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Jesus is interacting with this amazing group of the Pharisees. They refuse to believe in him. They continue to make accusations against him. Verse 37, he says, the the Father who sent me has himself even testified about me. That's what Jesus is saying. And you've not heard his voice at any time. You haven't seen his form. You don't have his word residing in you because you don't believe in the one he sent. This is where it stings. You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them. And yet they testify about me. But you aren't willing to come to me so that you may have life. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you study the scriptures in vain because you think that in them you have life, yet you refuse to come to me. You refuse to come to me, the one of whom the, the, the scriptures testify. When he's talking about the scriptures, mind you, he's not talking about the New Testament red letter ones. He's talking about the Old Testament. And he says, listen, when you pour over the scriptures and you begin to read that famous story that we all love and hold dear to our hearts, David and Goliath, you're looking at it wrong. You're seeing yourself as David, like I'm going to be brave little David with my three stones and I'm going to knock down that big giant in my life because there's so many giants in my life. And Jesus says, that's doing it the wrong way. I'm David. You're in the story. You're standing on the sidelines with the rest of the Israelites shaking in your boots because you're scared to death. But Jesus shows up and he conquers the one giant that we could never conquer. Jesus says, you are pouring over the scriptures trying to find eternal life. You're doing it wrong. The scriptures testify of me. You know the story of Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt, wandering through the wilderness, allowing them to be removed from those who had enslaved them. I, Jesus Christ, am the greater Moses. Don't you understand? You can almost see Jesus look at the Pharisees like, guys, have you noticed a theme in the Old Testament? As you read the Old Testament over and over again, you always find there's a man who's leading people out of slavery. There's a king delivering people from bondage. It's the same story over and over and over again. Hey, it's about me. You, you go to the scripture and you're trying to find your rules and your laws, your inspirational quotes. You're looking at it like a textbook, an instruction manual. You're, you're trying to find a blessing for the day. And when you do that, you miss Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I'm the one who redeems. I'm the one who restores. Know me. You want to know why the word of God renews, instructs, and revives? Because it points to the one who brings life. 
It points to the one who brings eternal life for those who are separated from God and their sin. And, and, and I'm going to tell you what happens. It's this amazing moment. Again, it's not this magical thing. It's just over time. It's, it's letting the word of God continue to read us. This, this amazing thing happens. I'm going to throw this verse up on the screen for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. He, he's saying, no, no, we all, with unveiled faces, we've, we've removed the veil from our face so we can see clearly, and we're looking as in the mirror at the glory of the Lord. And as we do that... We're being transformed into that same image from glory to glory. The idea of glory to glory is step by step by step by step by step. And as, as you submit to that work in your life, it's the Spirit who continues to, to chip away the edges, who continues to mold you and fashion you and shape you and make you more like the image of Jesus Christ. We value God's Word because in God's Word, we see our Savior. Now, let me, let me get super practical um, and land the plane as bumpy as I possibly can. When it comes to taking your next step in valuing God's Word, it has to be intentional. It has to be intentional. You don't accidentally end up studying the Bible. It's not like you sit down at night and you're like, you know what, I'm going to go on a YouTube binge. And all of a sudden you're like, but I can't get away from Jesus. Usually it's the exact opposite. I'm going to read Ephesians. Ah, the fails on YouTube are very compelling. It must be intentional. So come up with a plan. And let me encourage you. Read a book, James. Ephesians. We're, we're going to be studying Ephesians start November. Read through Ephesians. Read the book of John. Read, 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 a, book. read, read a chapter. One chapter a week. Just a chapter. Over and over again. Just read it. Digest it. Enjoy it. it, it it's not a race. You know that, right? It's not a race. I, so on that app I was talking about, the Uversion app, if you scroll all the way to the bottom of that service, a lot of scrolling, evidently. <laughs> At the bottom of it, I've, I've included five or six different reading plans that Uversion offers that are a week long. Use that if, if you're more technology. Jo join a community group. Join a community group that is, is focused around the Word of God. I've got one for you, for some of you, not all of you, but for some of you. We'll publicly announce this right now. If you are a college-age student with us, next Sunday, immediately after second service, or as immediately as we possibly can make it, we are going to meet in the office area, and we are going to continue our community group that we started this summer. If you ha weren't there this summer, we would love to have you join us. We're going to spend about an hour just studying through. Right now, we're going to go through the book of Colossians together. And, and you know what? If you, if you want to grab lunch afterwards with everybody, that's a good thing too. We'd love to have you. It's going to be the second and fourth Sundays of, of every month. You, you want help studying the Bible? If you're like, Frank, I have literally never cracked my Bible open once. Your next step is to read it for five minutes this week. Now, there should be two reactions, or there shouldn't be. There are two reactions. One, to the person who hears that, it's like, yeah, but everybody else is reading a book. And the other people are like, five minutes, man, ask, call them to a higher level. A higher level for somebody who's never cracked God's word is to crack God's word, amen? Open it up! The Word of God. But Frank, I don't even know what I'm doing. Awesome. I have an invitation for you. Okay? Ready? Tuesday night. This Tuesday night at 
come here. I'll be here. We're going to have a very casual time. I'm going to walk through some resources, some ideas, some plans, some, some ways that hopefully will help you as you learn how to read God's Word. I've been doing it for 20 years. I still want those. You should come too. I don't have a Bible. You should come too. I'll hook you up. I know people. I'm not promising that when you open the Word, the angelic choruses will begin singing over you not promising you that the Shekinah glory of God will appear as you finish reading through the book of James for the first time. What I am promising you is what God promises you. He promises that you can be renewed, instructed, and revived as you encounter the living God and His mercy and grace for you through His Son, Jesus Christ. We value God's Word because that's where we see our Savior. Would you take your next step with me? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us. That is an impossible thing for me to wrap my head around. Thank you that, that in your love for us, you gave us the, the Redeemer that we need, the Savior that we needed, even, even, though, even though at times we weren't even sure that we wanted, but God, you gave us exactly what we needed in Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that in your word we find the words of life. We, we open it up and as we see it, we see Jesus. We see what he has done for us, what he promises to do for us. We see the glorious hope that is awaiting us one day when we get to look him face to face. And I'd love to say the first thing that comes out of my mouth is going to be thank you, but I'm sure it's going to be dumber than that. God, I, I, I cannot imagine for a moment what that's going to be like until I open the word of God and read it. God, would you stir up within each and every one of us a desire to know you better, to, to be renewed as your, your word pours through our lives. God, I ask that you would remind us of the hope we have in Jesus Christ that we can know for a certain as we crack the book of God open. God, thanks for our church family. Would you do a wonderful work in them and in me? It's in Christ's wonderful and matchless name I pray. Amen.